Hey, everybody, check out Pickle episode 23 so you can get to see me wearing these. Instant post-game reaction to the Buccaneers and Saints game because we recorded a little early this week. and talk a little bit about Theo Epstein's move to Major League Baseball and how we can change the game. Welcome to the Pickle. Welcome to Pickle. Pickle, 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 Pickle. I feel like I should be doing the intro. And do it. Well, I'll do the intro. Welcome to the pickle. I'm wearing goggles. That's not going to work because you just, there's no delay between. I'm going to do the pickle. All right. All right I, got it, it. I got it. I got it. Ready? <laughs> Welcome to Pelotero Pickle, Pickle, Pickle. I'm doing the intro this week. I don't know why Bobby's making hand signals at me, but he is. I'm Episode wearing my goggles. Huh? Episode, episode 23. It's episode 23. I'm wearing goggles. I'm wearing a Blue Jays hat. Tukes, I would send you my goggles in Texas for you to wear. Make some noise so people can see you. Yeah, I'm entering week four of Cedar Fever down here in Texas. I'm losing the battle. It. I thought it was getting better. It, it turned. It got worse. I think you were worse last week. So I'm, I'm, I think things are looking up for you. If you want, though, these goggles are uh, – Covered in champagne. I think you can still like kind of see it on here. I don't know if you guys can notice it, but these are from the uh, the old playoff celebration. Now I feel like the dude in um, what's that movie? Can't hardly wait. You know how he like wore his like this was like a cool thing to do late nineties, early two thousands. Like wear goggles to school. Do you remember that? Well, he was like a satirical character, so I don't think it was very cool. But he thought it was cool. But he knew deep down that he wasn't cool. All right, Chris, the. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, the Nolan Saints, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just finished the game. Thoughts? Dude, bro, I'm even going to take the goggles off of this. Oh my guy, Tommy Brady, one more time, kid, going to his 14th conference championship game, bro. His first one in the NFC. Today, he just looked like a man among boys. Even though the numbers didn't say he was great, this guy controlled the game, didn't turn it over. The Bucks defense came with it today. They they took balls away from Breeze like it was going out of style, kid. They were like, oh, hey, Drew, you're going to throw the ball and you want to try to play like Tommy at his age? You can't do it because we're better than you. Tommy going to his 14th conference championship game. Look, I don't know what else I have to say about my guy Tommy and Robbie. These guys, just all they do is win, 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 no matter what. Like, you know, we should have Duncans on the show as a sponsor because – you know, up here in New England, all I'm doing is room for my guy, Tommy. And I heard, I heard through the grapevine, producer Patrick's father was really upset that Tommy was winning again today. Like, I don't even know how to handle that, dude. I don't even, like, dude, who, like, Tommy's going to go play Aaron Rodgers. He's going to win three games on the road to go to the Super Bowl and win his 83rd Super Bowl of his career. You got, you got the Bucks winning the whole thing? Why not, kid? Like, at this point, dude, the guy – whatever the guy touches turns to gold, kid. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they're going to win the whole thing. Um, something that I, that I love, like, when we go to high school games, college games, baseball games, you say whoever doesn't poop down their leg the most will win. <clears throat> like, just don't yeah. poop down your leg. And you always say, like, just don't poop down your leg. And the Saints pooped down their leg four times today. Just gave the ball away. The game the – game- the tie of the game turned, right? Tampa Bay got the ball, went three and out twice. And on one of them, uh, 
they got the ball back down to the 20. Assumption's finest, by the way, second finest, Deontay Harris. Um, brought the ball back downfield. They had great field position. They only got three, which, and I was just texting with somebody saying this, like the old Drew Brees would have stepped on your throat there and he's winning 14, nothing. Like he just, he looked like he was playing tentative, hesitant, slow, old, whatever you want to call it. But you could tell, not like he was checked out, but he's just not the same guy anymore. And I think, you know, word on the street is he's retiring. And I mean, I have a ton of respect for that guy. What a great career, but um that was uh, to me, that was the game. Like if you don't, if you get up 10, nothing or 14, nothing uh, the second punt return got called back for the block in the back, but Hey, just, you know, Greyhounds make it to the postseason, man. That's what we do in pro sports. You know, we, not only do we make it, we make it to the, to the postseason. but you know, if I had to play Tommy in the, in the, in the American league championship series, I think this guy would have gone nine for two, throwing a shutout and beating me all four games. Have a day, Tom Brady. Uh, I think he could win at baseball. I really believe that. Like he just wins. That's what he knows how to do, man. He just knows how to win. Period. Yeah, I mean the thing, the type of things that drive him in football. If he chose baseball, if baseball was his thing, he'd probably be pretty good at it. Uh, other games, the uh, Packers beat somebody. Who they beat? Packers beat the Rams. Who really? And then Aaron Rodgers made the comments to ESPN uh, Deportes. He goes, "Yeah, we weren't going to lose to a team." It got beat by the Jets this year. That was really funny. He came with it. Fair. That's a fair statement. Uh, the Browns gave the Chiefs a scare. If they didn't have that uh, fumble touchback situation, they had them on the ropes. And then uh, there was another game, and I just can't remember. Who the it was. Bills beat the the Bills beat the Ravens. A little disappointed in that game. I was looking forward to it. it Turned into like just a defensive whatever. I told you not to look forward to the wrong things. Like when it comes to all right. If l- listen from now on, when you want to know about the NBA, talk to Patrick. When you want to know about the UFC, talk to either one of us. When you want to know about the NFL, come talk to me. Just saying. Well, or Palazzolo, Steve Palazzolo. He's tall. Pro Football Focus. <clears throat> also very tall. He's the only AAA pitcher, I think, that works for Pro Football Focus. Like, he always wanted to work in football, which is crazy. At 6'11", too. Very tall. <laughs> He's so tall. Really good, really good guy, though. Um, next topic. Are you done with football? Or do you want to talk about football? No, nah, I mean, I'll talk about Tommy as we go along. Yeah. Uh, Theo Epstein was hired as a, what was his official title? Something in the commissioner's office. Uh, he had some very interesting quotes about like his role in the game and how the game has changed. There's a specific quote here. We need to find a way to get more action in the game, get the ball and play more often, allow players to show their athleticism some more and give the fans more of what they want. End quote. Uh Another part of it was he blamed himself and others for dramatically changing the game, using analytics and other measures to try to optimize individual and team performance, which had a negative value on the aesthetic of the game. Thoughts? What do you got on that? Yeah, like all of it. Um, The major league game right now is it's like tough to watch a lot of the time. Most of the time, it's like difficult to watch if you've grown up like not in this era of highlights and Instagram. It's uh. And I think a lot of the younger generation doesn't even know it. Yeah. Joey Bats and I were talking about that the other day. We, t- we were talking this past week, um, like hard to sit and watch a baseball game, hard to, hard to see all of it, the, like the totality of it, literally. Pitchers are only trying to throw a billion. Um, nobody's pitching a contact. Nobody's ever going to throw a complete game ever again in the history of Everness, especially in a big game. Uh, case in point, the Blake Snell thing. Um it, it, it's it's just tough. Like I, I mean, I 
I played with Mark Burley, who would throw two hour and 14 minute CGs, dude, like just because he threw it over. And I, I'll never forget, I went out and caught him between innings. And I've told this story before. I had to catch him between innings one time. And, you know, I remember being out there and I'm like, girls, just throw the ball, man. I felt like he was like taking it easy. So I go in the dugout. I'm like, hey, man, like you can let it go when I'm back there. Like I know how to do this. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, you can throw it. Like, seriously. He's like, no, that's all I got, Chris. And I'm like, <laughs> like this guy's got almost 15 years of 200 plus innings. But it, it's crazy to me because like we've taken away from the flow of the game in so many ways, even stuff like that. Right. Like the fact that we're always going to constantly change pitchers and go to matchups. Like the analytics can't tell you about in moment feel right ever. They can't tell you about like the tide of the game and so much of the, the best stuff happens within game adjustments and awareness and, and feel and flow and all games have different flows and they have different life cycles and they're just different organisms. They move differently. So you have to adapt to whatever the game's telling you to do. And I think that's what Theo's talking about. Like, you know, you and I could blame ourselves for the swing revolution in baseball partially. Right. Like I was going to bring that up a little bit. Yeah. Because um, like some of the first content I ever put out was about how line drives are the most valuable hit and that we should be trying to hit line drives as much as possible. And, <clears throat> I'm definitely labeled as a launch angle guy, which is funny to me. Um, but so much of what's happened with the swing and with the direction of the game, I can't stand. Yeah. And well, it's, it's all, it, it's all been, it's almost counterproductive because it's the extreme shifts. Right. And the problem with, I think the problem with baseball, and you talk about this a lot and you always bring it up is it, it, it's no longer competitive advantage if everybody's doing it. Right. Like, so it's like, it's great to use analytics in, a, in an authentic original you know, differentiated kind of way. Right. But when everybody's doing, using the same formula, then there's, there's no, there's no advantage. And, and here's the hard part, right? Like you sit here from the outside looking in and you go, all right, well, my presumption is 750 best players in the world should be in the major leagues at any given point in time. <clears throat> and that might change here and there, right? Like a, a bullpen arm, a, an option down and down, up and down. And, and frankly, like I, I just, I don't believe that that's true at any given point in time. And especially because of the way now what, what they've done with the war statistic and don't be fooled. Like the war statistic is not used to actually place value on the field. It, the war statistic is used to put a value on a player's worth period. And by doing that, when they go to sign players, they can justify the fact that the front offices are doing a good job by underpaying for wins for what they are perceived wins because it, if the war statistic was actually right, like every year, whoever had the best team in war starting on opening day would be the best team, right? Like projected war. And that's just not how it is. Like what was it? Seven years ago, eight years ago, whatever it was, 10 years ago, the Red Sox were projected to win 110 games. They were going to be the greatest team of all time. They didn't even make the playoffs. So how do you explain that? If, if like, if the stat was like true, it wouldn't have to hold true all the time. Well, the scary thing is this is just getting started. Wait, wait until all the Hawkeye data is really pushed out throughout the game. And it, I mean, we're talking about by the, there were players complaining this year that they didn't have access to video in game. So they couldn't make adjustments. They're going to have access to biomechanical data in game. That's like hitters and pitchers. It's crazy. This is, so this is the breaking point, right? Where to me, where like the influx of data like data is cool. Don't get me wrong. I like data in so many ways, but at what point, like at what point 
is enough enough, right? Like at what point do you go, okay, I've got what I need. Like I can't, like I can't get any, any better than I am already. Like I can't, like there's no, there's, there's no more added value. You know what I mean? By, by digging another layer deeper, like what are you doing truly? Who made that? Somebody, somebody made the, the, the comment, it should be Amish rules. Once the game starts, technology's gone. Well, I, I always said that about the replay, the replay in the NFL, right? So, like, you've got these coaches, and, and even in baseball, like, they call the video room for somebody looking at the replay to decide whether they want to actually use replay. Like, you should have to use your naked eyes and have a 10-second shot clock to call replay or no. And then what should happen is the guy should have a headset on the field. He should beep the thing. And the guy in the booth should go, all right, got it. Like, I get the umpires running over, but you want to talk about pace of play and stuff like that. Like, you know how much of a buzzkill replay is when they run over and they stop the game and they stand there and they're on the headset. Only God knows who they're talking to. Like, put it up on the board in the stadium if you want to do that. Let everybody see it. Let the, the, the umpires they should, they should make the, that. They should make the umpires at the field go off of the big screen. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. Get the fans involved. Why not? And, and at least then all these people would be engaged. Instead, they're like they're hiding in this tunnel, and the fans fans aren't allowed to see it. They like at one point they weren't even allowed to show replays on the stadium because yeah. the, oh we don't want anybody to know what actually happened. Yeah. They get it wrong. It's crazy. But I mean, look, I'm not surprised that Theo left the Cubs, probably knowing that he was going to have an opportunity to do something like this. Is he the right guy? I think Theo genuinely cares about baseball. Like I think. I think he loves baseball. I think he wants baseball to do well. Um, I'm glad somebody's acknowledging that there's changes that needs to be made. And, and look, I, what's the correction though? Like, because the, there's only going to be more and more data that comes out. Like, pitchers aren't going to stop trying to throw hard. You, if you move the mounds back, breaking balls are going to break. But you Wait, do you know when pitchers ball. will stop trying to throw hard is when it doesn't get rewarded and like overvalued monetarily draft wise um yeah but how is that going to change so well no yeah I've, I've talked to some scouts in the last few weeks and they're like do you know what the number one hitter quality we look for now is and i'm like what and they're like contact rate and in bp we look for quality contact and i'm like okay good because that should never like fundamentally that should never change like that should have never changed and now granted you could say that right you could sit there and say oh well you know they used to do that but they always used to look for the five tool guys. So they always look for the guy that had massive pop. They always look for the guy that had the skill set because it was easy to, it was easy to put your neck on the line for that guy and say, well, he didn't work out, but you could see why I went with him. But the evaluation process needs to be better, dude. Like the evaluation process of players. And I'm shocked, honestly, at this point in my life that somebody hasn't really identified like some sort of character test, some sort of whatever. Not to say that it would be perfect because things change, people change, emotions change, mindset changes, but we've never even tried to define it. We've never tried to define the it factor, right? And I think people are scared of it. I think they don't know how to. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I go, go figure out what's in Derek Jeter, Tom Brady, and uh, and Michael Jordan's DNA. And I think like, We'll do all right. See, I, and I, I can appreciate both sides of this because on one hand, like I don't like the brand of baseball that is on the field right now, but I have a very high appreciation for the curiosity and the search and the quest on the data side and on the, like some of the stuff that's happening in the pitching 
is crazy. But ridiculous, right? You're doing like wind tunnels to figure out how pitches react to it's like what what are you what are we doing? But it, but then the pitcher becomes too reliant on the information, right? Like, oh, I need to go shape this and I need to go do that. Like for a hundred years, number one has been your best pitch, period. Like fastball is your best pitch. Why? Because it it gives the hitter the biggest time constraint, no matter what, right? So no matter how good your secondary stuff and how much you can tunnel it or, or, or make it mirror what the other, like, I love, it's crazy when you see like the overlays of guys pitches. Right. And it's crazy to me because stuff looks so much more devastating from behind than it does when you're actually in the box. So like when people see like these, these charts of balls going 17 different directions, like all those pitches look different coming out of his hand, just FYI. And that's why guys can still get hits. <laughs> I got, and now I'm not saying like your average human is going to get in the box and feel good against a six pitch mix at 94, but like, there's a reason why guys can still get hits. Like you, you learn to pick stuff up and it doesn't matter how much you tunnel it. It doesn't matter how much it like, like the, the longer it looks the same, the better off you are. Right. But the spin of the ball, I was talking about this today, the spin of the ball. That's why I like split fingers are never threatening to me, especially off four seam fastballs because four seam fastballs rotations, like super, super tight. Right. It just looks like a blur as it's coming. And then you see the splitting and it had tumble. And that was the same, the same argument I made about that. The Volquez Homer in the playoffs was like, Guys throwing 98, his fastball spinning super tight, and then his changeup comes out and it's like tumbling. So I was like, "Wow, it's a changeup." Yeah, I just don't. I don't. I mean, I think pitchers pitchers should try to be more efficient. Pitchers should be thinking about pitching to contact. It's harder now because guys elevate and celebrate. Ball's different. Everybody can go deep. Like, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Pitching to contact is never a bad thing because if if you if you don't give up homers. Like if you don't give if you if you don't walk people and don't put guys on base, three run homers are hard to find, right? It's hard to get three hits in a row. It's just the same way it's hard to get hit two singles then hit a three run bomb. Like it's not if you can't make the presumption that you give up two singles, you're gonna give up three run homer, right? It's still hard to get the third hit. Guys that usually lead the league in ERA give up the most solo homers. So like is that that hasn't changed? Yeah, it's just it's crazy. Then you you factor in the shifts, you factor in platoons. You factor, there's just a lot of different things in the game and just like NCABs, all those non-competitive at-bats that happen, the guys are just going up there, getting blown away, don't care if they strike out. <clears throat> Maybe they should like make strikeouts count for like two outs or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> or affect your war worse. I know that. Well, do, so, do something where, I don't know. I don't know what you can do. I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not going to pretend to have an answer on this, but the, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with Theo here with what he's saying about the game and how analytics are being used. And it is just getting started. That's the scary part. Um, and they're not measuring the, the person. So maybe that's an, another big piece. Yeah. Um, I did see one thing. There was a, somebody tweeted out about banning the shift. It's like, that's a free hit, dude. Like the people that Love get shifted on are one dimensional hitters and they can't. Love hit. Free hits. So yeah. good. Take your free hits kids. If anybody shifts on you, beat the shift. Yeah. One for four, one for four, one for four, one for four. You're feeling like crap. Then you get two the next day, hit 300. There you go. Uh, next topic, the Nets traded for James Harden. There's a bunch of moving pieces. There's a couple guys went there. A couple guys went there. Uh, there was a thing about James Harden finessing the league because he, he had shown up in one like a pregame sweatsuit looking like he had a couple snacks. And then he went to the Nets and he looked athletic. Did you see the picture? He's like a, 
Uh, how'd that happen? He looked like he was Santa Claus in <laughs> when he was playing for the Rockets. Like he was like wearing a Santa Claus suit, and I was like, Patrick and I were like, "What? Like, bro, he's so fat." And then the next day, in his Nets gear, he was like, "Just normal James." I, I, I couldn't. I look. I, I like that the players have the ability to dictate what they want to do. Like when guys earn their keep in the league, let them do whatever they want. Who cares? Like this guy. He's making $400 million, first of all, whatever. He's going to be the highest, like with endorsements, probably going to be the highest paid basketball player of all time. He got a new restaurant in Houston that he might have to close that he's just about to open. I think he's going to be okay no matter what there. Like, I think even if that restaurant happens to not make it, he should be all right, probably, right? Um, but I, like, what's wrong Like, what's wrong with, with what he's doing? Like, okay, I, like you could say he bailed on his teammates in Houston, which – I get that, right? Why did he want to get traded? I don't know enough about basketball to know why he wanted out. I just think he didn't think he was going to win. Um, he was probably a D'Antoni guy, like because D'Antoni potentially like let him do his thing and run the offense the way he wanted to. But if you look at the Houston Rockets of the last like five years, there the one year they were like super good. They were either the one or the two seed. But other than that, they've been like they're anywhere between three and six. Last year they tried to play with no big the whole year, which they were like a five-man perimeter offense. Like their center was like playing at six-six, which again, it, nothing wrong with it. But they were getting really good at being third, right? Like or fourth. And you know, I could see the frustration, right? Where you're sitting there and you're watching, you know, you're watching the Lakers build a super super team. You watch the Warriors build a super team. And like typically, when you go out and get a superstar in the NBA, it, it's it's the sign that I think you're about to like go for it, right? Um, and I, I think Houston always skips going to get that third guy. Like it's, it's a big three league, right? You need three. And it started, it probably all started with like, like the Duncan Parker Ginobili, I would say like those. those Pretty really, organic though. Yeah. And, and like those, I watched the Tony Parker documentary. It was super cool, by the way. I want to talk about a confidence. What about dude, like, Bird, Mikhail Parrish? Yeah. I mean, but I mean the, the Celtics dynasty, like they also had Bill Walton off the bench, like, Danny Ainge played there. DJ was there. Like Dennis Johnson, really good player. Like talk about, they were deep, dude. Like they're, they're deep, deep teams. Um, and they were more of like, other than Bird, like I, would, I wouldn't call McHale and Parrish really like super superstars. Like, but now you can see a team like now the Nets are, you know, Kyrie Durant and Harden, um, if Kyrie ever gets on the court again. But I really, like, you could say that they're spoiled brats and prima donnas. And again, like bailing on your guys kind of sucks, but could he make the argument that, that the Rockets bailed on him in some capacity? Well, so like, what, how do you, would you define that? Because he signed a contract to play for them. Sure. But I think he signed that contract. They stopped paying But So no, no, no. But like you signed that contract with the aspiration of going to win a championship, right? Like, like, like when you sign that contract, you're, you're saying, okay, we're going for it. Like this is where I want to win, but you need help. And I'm not going to sit here and say that James Harden is the, like is easy to play with, but he came from Oklahoma city. Like he was third behind Westbrook and Durant. Like James Harden wasn't James Harden until like they left there or he got out of there really. Like well, actually it was when they left and then he started just turning into an absolute monster. Um, Sounds like a potential big three in Oklahoma City. Whoops. Yeah. Well, they no, all should have there. just stayed there. They were there, and then they just all vacated the premises. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I look, if you're his teammates, like this, the kid, uh, what's his name? Um, the kid that, that he, he said to Shaq casual, he called him casual the other night and I, he should call me casual too. Uh, Brooks is it? No, not Brooks. Uh, shooter. Patrick, what's his name? Christian Wood. Wood. Yeah. I knew it was a like standard name, but he, like the night after, like he's been off the charts. He's been a good player for like four years in the NBA and now he's going to get a chance to turn himself into a superstar. And, um, you know, I, I think it could be good for the Rockets too. And, you know, should the guys in New Jersey in uh, in Brooklyn be mad at him? No. Uh, what's the right way to leave, dude? Like, I, I don't. I was never in a position to be able to leave a team by myself. You know, hopefully you do it with dignity and class. But I think I, I really appreciate when guys have given their blood, sweat, and tears to teams. If you know they get to leave on their own terms, and like they're not hard and left on his own terms, really. Yeah. What's what's the equivalent? What's the baseball cl- equivalent of James Harden? Uh, yeah, I really don't think they're like. I was going to say something like Matt Harvey, but I mean he's not that caliber player. I was thinking about Nomar when Nomar left Boston. Yeah, I think that was a little bit forced, wasn't it? A little bit. They forced that on him. There was so yeah, yeah. They went and won the World Series the next year. Or was it, uh, that like, year. That year because they got they ended up getting uh, out. Was it Alex and uh, Pokey Reese? Orlando Cabrera. Orlando Cabrera. Yeah, not Alex Gonzalez. That was another. By the way, Alex Gonzalez has like 13 years in the big leagues or 14 years in the big leagues. And he lives in Massachusetts. I didn't know that. Oh, um, I, had a, I had a good analogy. Uh, Drew Brees is the Greg Maddox of the NFL. Just a soft thrower, gets a job done, like really fair. good for a long time, but there won't be there won't be guys like him. Like, I like it. When I was watching the game, and I meant to say this earlier, so I'm just – interjecting here this is one of patrick's favorite things to do is to ask me who the nba comparison of a big leaguer is james harden is a rod final answer a rod getting traded to the yankees from from a texas team yeah i mean yeah I who are we to really know how the inner workings of the conversations went and even like Kawhi left Kawhi left san antonio um you know, he forced himself into the situation he wanted. Like he, he went to Toronto and then was like, "No, I'm out. I'm going to go great, to Patrick, That was a great call on a run. That was good. I, I know Patrick's Greg good. At Maddox, this. Greg Maddox, Drew Brees got it. And Drew Brees can't throw the ball more than twenty yards. I said that like the first second week of the season. You can't throw the ball more than twenty yards. So the defense just pushes up on him, and then they can't do anything. The one, the only throw they had downfield was on the the reverse flea flicker, or whatever, to Jameis. Yeah, it was Jameis Winston. Can you imagine if they brought Winston in the game and he beat the Buccaneers? Like, they, they benched Breeze and they brought Winston in to beat the Bucs. What a story been, that would have been. How did he do it? Eating the Ws? The... <laughs> that was so brutal. Um... Hey, all I know, dude, is Tommy Brady comes to Tampa, dude. These guys are one went away from the Super Bowl, kid. Uh, the one question that I did want to uh, jump on with the uh, with the Harden trade was the team chemistry component of that. Um, I feel like a James Harden, he seems like he's got a pretty commanding personality, like an alpha type. And I think alphas need to be around other alphas to to lift the team together. I felt like in Houston, he was like the guy and he wanted to be treated as the guy, maybe felt like isolated in certain ways or made himself isolated in certain ways. I don't know that that's true. I think Harden's like, for all intents and purposes, pretty good dude. Like Westbrook, when Westbrook got there, 
it kind of became like I've heard different stories about Chris Paul. And then obviously you see Westbrook's personality being a little bit more flashy than Harden's. Um, So I don't know. I think, I think Harden, I mean, I don't know. How's it like just just being around dudes? Like you were in the big leagues and you were around some pretty legit like dudes, like dudes in the league. So dudes, do they, they kind of like hang together, right? Like they travel in their own packs. Yes and no. Um, it's weird, man. It's a baseball roster is bigger. Um, guys in different walks of life. Like they're it's hard to say, man. Like we all, we all really hung out. I think the key to the whole thing is having people to offset the stars personalities, right? Like, like, especially if you have multiple alpha types, and I think everybody ultimately is an alpha, but I think you need people to like kind of offset it and bring humor. Like they, I think one of the keys is to have people that know how to make fun of themselves. So that way, because people are going to get crapped on all the time, right? No matter what, like somebody's going to bury somebody at some point for whatever reason, malintent or not. But you have to have guys that can do that to themselves too before they go back at somebody, because then it just kind of cuts the tension more. Because I think there are times when things can get really tense. Like, I mean, if you look at the 2015 Blue Jays, screw the Alphas, Joey Bats and Donaldson, right? Encarnacion is a much quieter version of that. Like he just lets his bat talk usually. Um, and then when we got price, you could say price too. Um, uh, Russell Martin, just really, really nice guy, like super competitive, but super nice guy, like wouldn't hurt a fly. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, when you have those, those, those personalities become polarizing, they like clash a little bit because it's like, you know, so you have to have balance. And I think there's different ways to do it. There's, I don't think there's like a perfect formula, you know, I don't think there's like one way. Um, you, think, you think Kyrie is going to play base, uh, play basketball again? What is he doing? Uh, it's a weird cat, man. Talented. Super Strange talented. cat. He's so good. <clears throat> He's not a uh, – like uh, you almost want him – like the, the worst thing I, I do not want to say is like shut up and play, that whole like thing. He, he seems to shoot himself in the foot and maybe that's like, he just doesn't care. And that's just, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying shut up and play to, I think he does like, care. Like, he, like, he'll backtrack right. some stuff after, like if he didn't care, he would just own the stuff that he said. Right. Like you, you just own it, but they're like, he'll, he'll like back up on some stuff. And I think that's the reason why, you know, he gets, he catches some clout for it, you know, every, cause people know they can get a, like, they can stir him up. They get a rise out of him. Is that fair? Does that make sense? I'm not sure. He's a weird read. I, I like look to me. It come, what it comes down to is when you're playing nice, you probably just say whatever you want. When you're not playing nice, you got to be able to call yourself out and say, "Yeah, I need to be better." And then you can still say whatever you want, or just keep your mouth shut. Because you're just asking for trouble, especially in big markets. If you're if you're talking when you're going, like if you're talking too much smack when things aren't good, then you're going to get, you're going to get hammered for it. You know, did you ever play with anybody who just like sucked at interviews? Sucked at interviews. <laughs> Who's the, the worst ever, interviewer you, you had as a teammate? Did you ever listen to Joe Biagini do an interview? He's, no, so I, he's just a weird I, kid. Like this guy, he, he would say some 
some and you couldn't tell either if he was being serious or sarcastic most of the time because he tried to give the impression that he was being sarcastic but then you go wait is he serious so those are some weird interviews um best ever is kawasaki and you want to talk about a guy that can get away with anything literally could say anything like he could tell you that he just slit somebody's throat and they're gonna be like i told you the man like whatever he said they're like come on (laughs) the guy's great he just does whatever he wants he can literally the one time he was doing an interview after after we clinched the division and he's like (laughs) i'm gonna do my my japan my best cow impression you go English too difficult. Japanese. I, I do I interview with Japanese because I drunk. He's like I drunk. <laughs> he was drunk. He's like you can't say you're drunk on TV. He's like I drunk. Call it drunk. And it's just whatever. And people are like ah. There's more scandalous stuff. He gets a pass. Yeah, um, he's awesome because he's trying hard and he's consistent. Very good. Uh, let's jump right to the post show. There was a starting nine posted, not the starting nine, Pelotero hitting program. The other starting nine, yeah. The starting nine, the Barstool starting nine, posted uh, Albert Pujols, five for five, three homer game from the World Series. Uh, what year was that? That was that was the first time I realized there was an upper deck in uh, Texas because he hit a ball so far. And I was like, wait, it, there's more up there above like the window section because um, usually the cameras didn't pan that high. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't say what year it was, but it was against the range. It was 2011. Like, it's 2011. 2011. I was, was going to say it was around 2011. Then. Yeah. That was like my prime, like man crushing on pools, setting a swing every night. Uh, so the question is, I fell asleep. I fell asleep during game six of the world series. And I woke up in the ninth inning when freeze hit the, the triple over Nelson Cruz's head. So at least I didn't miss it. I was sitting on my couch at my apartment. I fell asleep in like the fourth, woke up in the eighth and I have to watch. David Freeze. And by the way, I mir- I copied that. I copied. I was so cool when he hit the walk-off homer and he spiked the helmet through his legs. I was like, I, I dreamed about doing that if I ever hit a walk-off homer again. And then I got to hit one in double A in 2012 and my I spiked my helmet through my head. So what was your best game? Best single game of your career? Am I allowed to count independent ball? Um, my, I, my best – my my best day ever was when I was like I think I was twelve. I had a seven for seven day, homer shy of the cycle on the day. I just didn't make it out the whole day. It was awesome. I went I went in two thousand seven. I went four for six. You were there for this. I went four for six with a two run homer, a three run homer, a grand slam, and an RBI single to give me ten stakes. And then it's pretty good. I had two I had two or three homer games in professional baseball before I ever had a two homer game. It's weird. Um, so I would say, yeah, those I mean I had a two homer game in the big leagues, Grand Slam to win it in the ninth against Houston. That's my only two homer game in the big leagues. Um, I really enjoyed my four for four in Toronto because I feel like that was kind of like the thing that solidified me getting to stay there. It was my only four for four. I've had some three for threes in the big leagues. Four for four was different. It was my first forehead game. Uh, so we talked about this little pre-show. The the whole the mentality of a four for four is so intriguing to me. Like getting when you're two for two and you're like, maybe I'll get another one. And you're three for three. It's it's just hard to go four for four. I don't care what level you're at. It's, it's definitely it's hard. The focus thing. It's a confidence thing. Like, do you feel like you're more or less confident when you're three for three? 
way more freebies dude like yeah but like it's, it's a different kind of it's like a it's like a stress-free yeah once i got the like, second hey, one it doesn't matter dude after you get the second one it's all it's over like you can't have a bad day like unless it turns into a 20 inning game and you end up going two for nine because even two for eight you're not like you don't even care two for eight it's fine but when i was if i had two of my first two at bats forget it and and a lot of times that turns into two for four or sometimes two you get frustrated if it turns into two for five really but man like two for two were you like uh i i I already know the answer to this question i shouldn't even ask i'm gonna ask you because it's more for conversation the uh the batting average game like when you know it's an upper day like it's just you feel good no matter what like you're doing because like unless if you go two for five and you're hitting 450 like in high school you're like oh, my batting average is going down <laughs> I never 450 in high school i had a college teammate at vermont his uh like his last game of the year he went two for three and his batting average went down jason carey. jason carey raked he's playing high school baseball in vermont he hit like I, he's hitting like legitimately hitting 700 he went two for three in the last game of the year and his average went down i was so obnoxiously aware of my batting average at all times like at all times like it was pathetic and that so here, like weird, like this is the weird part. I always wonder about this. I'm like, does do you? Th- I I don't know if it helped me or if it hurt me because I was notorious. Like I'm a notoriously hit 300 guy, right? Like I seven first seven years of professional baseball, and I hit 284, and it was only because I blacked out for two months. Next year, when the AAA MVP hit 350, winter ball hit 300, and ended up hitting 300 in the big leagues. Like most of my career, I hit 300, right? Like 2016, I was hurt, uh, or 2016 was the the year that stuff went on. Beginning of 2017 was a continuation of that. 2015, I hit 300 the whole year. 14, I had my thumb was hurt. 13, between both levels, I hit 300. Um, 12 was really the only year I didn't hit 300, right? Um, so I think knowing it's up for two months. Huh? I forgot how to play baseball for like two months. Yeah. Well, I, I just feel like knowing where it is helped me in some ways, but it also stressed me out when I wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I was incapable at the time early on in my career to go to like separate the fact that if I hit 260 for two months, who cares? Like it doesn't matter because I'm going to hit 400 the next two months, you know, it's just the way it's going to work out. So I had trouble. I would have, I would have like prolonged stretches where I couldn't, I just couldn't get my mind to the right place where I could just free myself up to play because I was chasing hits. And then when I would, I would eventually like start to hit again. Um, you feel like but, it made you focus more or differently in certain at bats? It was, it was a stressful focus, right? Like where if I didn't, if I wasn't trying to get that second hit or like if I started over two, I was panicked. I, I, I would literally feel panic or anger and angst or whatever you want to call it. Um, like early in my career, if I started a game over two, I, you were going to have a hard time even scratching one out of me. Um, as my career went on, I feel like I, I did a much better job of managing those, like just managing. I, 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 I can't tell you how many times I turned over two into two for four in the last five to six years. Cause I just, just quite, you know, I, I wasn't worried about it as much because I started to really, I started to appreciate getting one. I started to appreciate one for four. So if I can figure out how to get one in those two at bats, it's going to change. It's fundamentally changed my day. Like I, I would say I'm much more proud of getting one in my fourth at bat when I'm over three than I would getting the fourth one when I'm three for three. How about that? Yeah, I'm in on that. <clears throat> I feel like those, uh, when you get the hits and those, like, when you scratch out that one, it, it's, it makes a big difference, especially like when you go back to the field the next day. It's like, I got one yesterday, I can get another one today. 
Or like when you get a walk, you like you draw a walk and get a hit, and you're like, that's a positive on base day for sure. I um, I turned zero for seven into one for eight with a pump one time. It was the nineteenth inning, and I had a solo. Home. No, I had a two run homer. Sorry, I went to Toledo, and I remember because it was the first time I laughed about it because I had taken an zero for eight in my career in a twenty inning game in Worcester, and that was the year. I, that was the year I hit three thirty six in Worcester. Took a zero for eight. I had an zero for seven one time. I don't know if you were. At, it was against the Mill City All Americans. Um, no, we never played an extra inning game against you guys. Was was, I think before. it was the year before, yeah. Um, it was uh, like a 15, 16 inning game or something. And I had like three diving plays made against me. I just couldn't get a hit. It was like, no matter what I did, it was just. I had, one, I had that in a doubleheader at Southern New Hampshire when I was in college. My, my junior year, which was the, the year, either, no, maybe was, it was either my sophomore or junior year. It was one of my really, my two, what I felt like my, my best years, even though my senior year was kind of very similar. It just happened all at the end. Um, I, dude, I was absolutely lambasting balls and it didn't matter what I did. They caught it. I, I took it like an 0 for 8. And I was like, I thought I was going to go there and have a monster series. You know how they, at, the, at the field they had up on the hill there? And I think it's still the same. But they had this like triangle that went out left center where it was one point where it was deep. I must have flown out to that triangle like three times. And I was like, man, those are all homers at any other field. But I just am picking the wrong spot here. Yeah, that I, sucks. I never really like playing at that field. Yeah, it's it's bad. I don't like it. It's it's always it sucks to not get hits. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's, that, it's like the whole uh, but just the mentality. You, it's like knowing your grade in school on the test. Like if you're on a like your overall grade, if you have like a 88 and you need to get a 93 on a test to get an A, or like I always play those mind games with myself in school, out of school, baseball, whatever. Like just yeah. any. You just I just hyper aware. Yeah, just hyper aware. Yeah, just, there's awareness of it and you do you run the math in your head and you figure it out. And it's like dude, when you go to the golf course, you're like, oh I'm you know, I got this score. If I make if I if I par the next three, then I get this and blah blah. And golf, I, I think it is bad. When I learned I'd when I'd rather learned, not knowing golf. Yeah, when I learned what I learned through therapy, right, was what what like I learned what the definition of anxiety was. Like people would tell me what anxiety was, and I, I was like, I I didn't I didn't know like, what's anxiety. What does that mean? And when the, when the, when the psychiatrist explained it to me, he, he literally a psychologist, I don't know whichever one's which he said to me, he goes like people that get depressed, focus too much on what happened in the past. And people that have anxiety are ones that focus about or on what's about to happen in the future. And that was like the simplest, most straightforward cut, like cut and dry way I've ever had to think about it. And I was like, wait, so if you just tell me if I just don't think about what happened in the past and I don't worry about what's going to happen in the future, then I'm good. Like I'm staying in the moment. And I apply, I learned how to apply that. And this, I wish I'd done it earlier in my career because especially now, I think it's so easy to, to focus on, on both sides of it, right? Like you're worried about before you're worried about after. And the funny thing is, is like, it's so ridiculous looking at how high school players get recruited now. Like I was so concerned with hitting like 450 in high school or 500. And I swear to God, most college coaches that recruit players don't know what their high school players batting averages are. Like they have no idea. They just watch you play and they think like, they like if you're good. They're like, oh, this guy's good. He had a good game. Uh, I, do, I do know a college coach that will pay attention to stats because out of specific leagues of high school players because he knows if a player can perform in a specific league, that, that players that have consistently performed in one league of high school and gone on to their conference continue sure. to have success. I think I, I think there's something to be said for guys that have the ability to hit 300. Because if you can hit 300, it's like a special ability. And now we can make the argument in high school – 
you know, guys are going to hit 500 or 600 or whatever, especially you guys up there in New Hampshire when you're not, you know, the best team in the state. Like I was in high school, you know, I, or Gatorade player of the year, runner up, whatever it is, you clowns up there. Cause New Hampshire's not even like a real state. Um, basically in Massachusetts, when you're Milford high school, like everybody's throwing their guy at you, you know? So even just hitting, hitting three, six, I hit like, I don't know. I figured, I figured out how to hit 300 after starting six or 36 my senior year, which is like half the season, by the way. I hit 300. I think I ended up in like 306 or something like that as a senior with no bombs. <laughs> no bomb. And I got to the big leagues. <laughs> the crazy, part, crazy part was you thought you were going to go to the big leagues then. Yeah. But well, I hit, I, I went to Legion and I smashed that summer, but I, I, I had a hard, I, I had the hard time with the anxiety and depression piece, like without even knowing what they were. Cause I was focused on my eight at bats from the last two games. This is what I was telling you. If I started over two, I was freaking out, dude. Like, I'd be like, oh my God, I gotta get four hits today. Like, can you imagine? Like, can, like, it's hard enough to get one hit in a day. Imagine, like, going up to bat your first round, like, I gotta get four. Well, setting yourself up for failure right there. Yeah, exactly. There's no, there's nothing good that can come out of that. And especially if you don't have two in your first two at bats, like, what are you gonna do? Dude, you know how many times I'd get to Press. like, one, I'd, <laughs> I'd get to one for three and I'm like, oh my God, upper or downer day all based on my fourth at bat. And then I was like, dude, this is so brutal. Like, stop thinking about this. And then that year when I was in triple A, I was like, I didn't care. I was like, whatever. And then I got to the big leagues and then that changed all again. And then the next year I was like, oh, it's fine. And then I hurt my thumb and I was like, oh, what if I don't get hits? And I went to Toronto and I was like, dude, whatever. 321. Figure it out. And I think that's 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 actually a really good lesson for kids that are going to play in college because – you start to feel that pressure. You start to worry. You may not start for the first time. You're not the dude when you show up anymore. Um, learning how to not put pressure on situations. We try to live up to false expectations, right? Like whatever the expectation is, like the freshmen that create the, the sophomore slump or jinx or whatever it is. It's like, you're just putting this unnecessary, I don't know, onus on things that don't really matter. Cause at the end of the day, what your coach needs and wants from you to help the team is just to be the guy that he can trust come hell or high water. I, I, that's what I think anyway, because it's about how you carry yourself when you make outs. Can you go out and make plays for the team when you're making outs? Like it's so much more about that stuff. And that's why, you know, guys have become really good are just guys that their co- coaches can trust them because they, they, you know, they don't have to worry about their emotional levels. They don't have to worry about, you know, them going off the deep end. They don't have to worry about the floor being too low and, I don't know how, cause I internalize a lot of it, but I don't know how I, I, I was able to like get through that part. Cause I feel like I was super emotional about it, but I guess at a minimum I hit it from people. Right. Like I, it was, it was an, in, an inside battle. I don't know. Just, but don't try to meet the expectations. Don't like, don't, there's no need to set a numerical goal. Like you sh- your, your objective should be to be the best player you can be every day, like to show up every day, to be the best version of yourself every day. And then the numbers will take care of themselves. Go. That's Pickle. Episode 23. We out. Peace out.